I'm afraid I'm going to break a nail popping this open. But I didn't. Those are real problems right there. I've got pretty nails. Don't I want them to you. break. No, 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 no. I hear you. Ah, this thing. Scoot it that way. Just uh, Rotate. Rotate. Go there rotate. we go. Rotate. There. See? Oh. <laughs> there went the lens cover. Oh, well. Good deal. Are we recording? We're recording. For sure. We recorded all of that. Perfect. Hi, I'm Kat the dog trainer. And I'm the guy with the pink gun and I have something in my eye. Your finger. (laughs) I don't know. Welcome to this week's Yawa where you ask us questions and we answer them and hopefully get to as many as we can without shorting our answers too much. We have a couple cool announcements to start off with. I I think I can see again, maybe. You don't really need to see. You just need to talk, so it's fine. Uh, Okay. Uh, we got some new hats. Those are bad boys. That's pretty freaking cool, if you ask me. Some 3D that. bubble action going on. They're black on black with a cool Chargo logo up there. And look, slick. And they will be up on the website very soon. As soon as so. I can get around to getting the old Photoshop box up and taking a picture of them. But. Light box. Tomato, tomato, you know. Yeah, sure. What other announcements you got? Um, I think that uh, it's kind of fun to talk about the fact that we had an awesome seminar this last weekend that went really, really well. Yes. We did a bunch of formal retrieving work demonstration. Everybody brought their dogs out. There were seven dogs here. Seven dogs. Seven dogs, plus we have eight dogs in right now that are working on that, so... Everybody got to kind of walk through all of that. And Vexer did all of the demoing. And we had a few requests from people to um, do live seminars so that people could watch them or participate, quote unquote, participate online. And not really set up to do anything like that right now. But what we are set up to do is answer your questions in a very similar format via Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Kennels. If it's your first time to the channel, guys, definitely hit that subscribe button because we appreciate all of you. Great. Is that it for announcements? That's all I got. That's all he's got. Okay. Well, then we're going to get into answering questions right off the bat because there were a lot of good ones and I we probably won't get to all the ones that I wanted to, but I'm going to do my best to try. So... This is a really good question because it hits on one of our other videos that we just recently shot with our puppy Thunder, and I wanted to expound on that a little bit more. From LL Boick on Instagram, I know you don't like wing on a fishing pole for obvious reasons, but I was wondering how you felt about it with using it in high brush or bushes where scent had to be used. Well, that's a, a great question, and one that's a pretty common, uh, pretty I common would, thought process yep. for people. There. And I would say, though, it's a very common thought process, but it's also a misconception that anything using a wing on a string is actually using scent because that wing um, is dead, dried up, maybe some smell to it, but really, that's not the it's scent be record. Pretty small amount. Yeah, that's not really the scent recognition that we're going for is a dog to point something that's dead and rotten or dead and dried up on the end of a string. Um, That's not what we're looking for them to do. So using a wing on a string in thick cover where we're hoping that they're going to be using their nose instead of their eyes is, again, not the process that we're looking for. We're looking for them to have scent recognition and to learn to use their nose to point. And with that being said, we need live birds for that to happen. We can't use scent on bumpers. We can't use dead birds, frozen birds, wings, things like that. We need them to point live birds, which is where we use pigeons a lot of times to start out with. But you can use quail and chucker and things like that. Um, But it has to be a live bird that they're recognizing that scent of. Now, to touch on the first part of the question that was stated... Um, we know that you don't like wing on a string for obvious reasons. I, I don't want that to be misunderstood. 
we have explained and in that video that we did, if you guys haven't seen that video, maybe definitely we can put the little bumper down here of the link for that video. Um, we say that it has a place and you should definitely do it. Just don't overdo it. Yeah, or it definitely can even, be done. You don't even have to definitely do it, but you can do it. There's no problem with that, but don't overdo it. And that's, that's the biggest thing. And, and that's the case with all training. You can overdo everything. So that would be our only word of caution is don't overdo the wing on a string. Because it puts too much emphasis on sight pointing and not enough on them using their nose, which led us into our answer of no, the wing on a string, even when used in thick cover, wouldn't actually allow the dogs to recognize that scent and use their nose to point. Um, so we want to make sure that we're using and moving into live birds for that pointing instinct to come out. So we have another question from... Roxy underscore eight on Instagram. I'm getting a large Munsterlander next year, and this will be my first time training a bird dog. Congratulations. That is really exciting. And the Absolutely. fact that you've planned ahead this far, I mean, in a year, that's awesome. A lot of people uh, that we work with also plan ahead, which is great. You know, they're putting deposits down for puppies in 2022. Um, but the fact that you're thinking ahead and planning is great. So you said, is there anything I can do before getting my puppy to prepare and learn? Physically, I've done tons of research, or will I just be jumping in head first? So the fact that you're asking questions and trying to educate yourself is very important. And there are a lot of great resources out there. Hopefully you found our YouTube channel and are following along with some of our puppy training series. We've had a training series with Quest and Rogue, uh, even a little lab puppy Sprig, which I know you're getting a large Munsterlander, so it's a pointing breed dog, but still a lot of those basics. What are you talking about? Large Munsterlanders are basically Labradors. Not even close. But you can follow along with a lot of the basics for any of those puppy training series, and then for your breed, your versatile breed, you can move and follow along with quests and rogues training sessions and training series. Um, and a lot of other really great information is on our YouTube channel, not to like toot our own horn, toot toot, but we try and really, that was her tooting her own horn, but we really try and share as much information and advice and experience that we have with people. We really, you know, our goal of our channel is to be hilarious. Of course, no, we're not really that funny, but we really try and entertain. <laughs> I was going to say we aren't funny at all. No, but we try and educate people with a little bit of entertainment thrown in, um, and share those experiences and hunting training and dogs and all of the things that we've learned throughout this process of, you know, training our own dogs. So YouTube channel, as well as when you do get your puppy and if you are struggling, because yes, even though you can read as much as you want, we've got a few really great blog posts on our website as well that you can check out um, and watching a ton of videos. But Yes, there will be some aspect of you just got to jump in and start figuring it out on your own. And once that point happens, you might need a little more guidance or have more specific questions. And that would be a really great place where you can check out our online dog training community on Patreon, where we can actually watch training sessions that you've videoed. We can actually set up phone consults, depending on which level of patronage you would want to participate with. And we have a new tier, which is called Live, which allows you to schedule Zoom chats or you know, FaceTime type chats where we are actually having a video chat at the same time that you're doing a training session. So we can jump in and say, Hey, what you're doing there is great. Or, you know, what you're doing there isn't great. And we need to change that sooner rather than later. The biggest thing that we need to probably go over with that specifically is. You lost your train of thought completely. I really don't know where you were going with that. Usually I'm really good at like following his scattered brain and knowing what he's planning on mm. saying, but it's, gone. but it's gone completely gone. If it ends up coming back, we'll throw it up there. I'm not going to throw anything up. <laughs> I hope not. Did, did you have something to go with Patreon or a response to her question about learning as much as she can? Nah, it's it, gone. It's gone. Okay. Well, we will uh, move on with another question then. This one's a good one. Okay. For me. <laughs> well, you, you kind of, you said you were, you know, scattered or whatever. Oh, where is it? Oh, I knew this one was coming up. Oh, here, from Sarah Lucas 4 on Instagram. Cat, where are your favorite places and brands for women hunting clothes? So ooh, this, ooh, ooh. 
I know the answer to this. Oh, okay. Go for it. I'd I'd love to hear the answer for this. Okay. So uh, this is a good question. I get asked it every once in a while and I definitely um, have my go-tos for hunting gear. It is always a struggle to find quality women's hunting clothing that actually fits and is functional and is durable. So And looks cute. Well, of course, that's always a part of the equation. It has to look cute. You got to feel good when you're out there hunting and look good while you're doing it. Uh, But what I was also going to say is one thing that I struggle with is sometimes I get hooked on I love these pants or I love this vest or I love this jacket and I wear it out in a couple years or more than a couple years and I go to rebuy it and it's no longer available. So because the women's clothing market is like typically, you know, borderline fly by night companies They come in and they're like, oh, we're going to cornerstone the women's market for Upland gear. And then they realize that there really isn't a market. And that's not a, a slap in the face of women that hunt. It's just the fact that there's very few of you. There's fewer, the but I think that the things. number is growing and there's definitely a niche for quality women hunting clothing. But to answer your question. If you are a woman and you hunt, throw a like in there for all the other women that hunt. Yeah, because I feel like, yes, we are definitely a minority in the number of people that are hunting, but I also feel like it's a growing number. So things that I really like, and I'll kind of go from the top down or the bottom up. I'll pick one way. I'll go from the bottom up. So I've been using Keen hunting and hiking boots a lot, but we just put a video out about the new Loa Renegade boots that we're going to be trying out. We did a first impression unboxing video. That video could kind of go down here if you want. Uh, And I was really impressed with the boots to begin with. I definitely need to get into them, wear them in the field, wear them for a first season and get a real response on those, but I've liked Keens for a long time. The waterproof side of things on their boots isn't as great as I would like, as well as they tend to break down within a short amount of time. And I, they're fairly expensive. And so if I have to replace those boots every year, it gets to be expensive. Um, so I'm trying to find something that I don't have to replace quite as frequently. Now for pants, I've got a couple brands that I like. Uh, I like Proas's pants. They had a pair of pants a while ago. They don't make them anymore that were really heavy duty, really thick. I really liked those. I have a couple pairs, but again, don't have those as an option to purchase anymore, but they have a new pair out that I've also really liked and that um, they're a little stretchier, but they also have some really nice cordura on the front, which helps them hold up pretty well. I've used some chaps before, um, but chaps are hit and miss for me because I'm pretty short. So the last pair of chaps that I had, I actually had to custom order because I couldn't get any that even hiked up, cinched up to the top of my waist. They were still too long and dragging on the ground as well as chaps can get pretty heavy yeah. after a while. So the go ahead, continue. Just remind me that we're talking about chaps. Jump right in there, babe. I don't want you to lose your train of thought again. Okay. So she mentioned that chaps can be pretty heavy. And one thing that I experimented with this last year is Orvis has a new line of products with their tough shell material and that tough shell material. I believe, I think they even made a dog, um, they made a dog vest out of it. I have not seen that. Producer. Oh, well, hey, let me look. But the chaps, um, super duper lightweight. So I ordered a pair of those to try this year. I don't have a feedback on whether or not they're good or not, but I can tell you first impressions, they're exactly like the pants that I have that held up really well as far as material goes. And they are super lightweight in comparison to any chaps I've ever owned. So still, they would be way too big on me. Well, they have like a medium men's. Yeah, that's not going to work for me. (laughs) I know. Uh, I understand these things. Now, going back to talking about pants for women, though, Orvis also has a couple really nice pairs of pants that I've tried um, that fit really well, held up really well. I wore them a ton in South Dakota last year, and even through some really thick stuff, I was not getting poked all the way through, and that was without wearing chaps on top of them. So I really liked those pants that they had on Orvis. As far as shirts, Orvis also makes some really nice women's shooting shirts. Um, the thing that I've always run into with shirting shirts that has been frustrating is 
I want to be able to tuck my shirt in and not have like a belly shirt going on. So Orvises are long enough that, and they're a flattering enough cut that they taper in at the waist. So if you want to wear them untucked, they still look nice, but they're a long enough um, shirt that you can tuck them in really well. So I have a couple of their shirts. I actually have a ton of their shirts because again, like I said, I found a shirt that I liked. They were currently making it in my size. And so I bought the lot. I was like, I'm buying it in every color like two or three times so that when I wear one out and they eventually don't make them again, because that kind of tends to happen to me, uh, then I still have some shirts stashed away in the closet that haven't even been worn yet. So I really like their shirts. Uh, I also really love Orvis's women's soft shell upland jacket. Um, it's got some blaze orange highlights on it. Uh, it fits really, really well. It's water resistant, waterproof, uh, very wind resistant as well. So I really like that. Um, now vests, I've tried a couple different vests. I'm still stuck on the vest that I got probably about 10 years ago now. And it's an Eddie Bauer vest. Unfortunately, they don't make it anymore. So I feel bad saying, Hey, that's my favorite vest, but I tried Orvis's vest. I didn't like it as much. Um, I also tried, um, Proas has a strap vest that again, I didn't love as much. Um, so I'm kind of still stuck on my Eddie Bauer tried and true. Um, maybe you can find one on eBay somewhere. Somebody's selling an older one, but I really like that. And then, um, I guess just whatever for a hat. I wear hearing protection. We use wild ear hearing protection, which is an electronic hearing protection. And then I would say that's pretty much it for my go-to hunting stuff. Find a pair of gloves that you really like and a hat that keeps your ears warm if it's cold out and you're good to go. So did you find what you were looking for, sir? Mr. Producer also known as Ethan. I did. They don't have it. What size do those come in? Do they come in? Small. Oh, they come in small. In stock. Do they come in short? No. Well, I may try the Orvis small chaps and see how ridiculously long they are on me. I'll tell you right now that I ordered medium longs and I probably need small longs. So I would guess the smalls are going to be fairly... Gapey. Well, order them and see what they, see how they fit. So, great question on. So, order them. Done. Do it. Got it. Um, I got a Yahweh question through email, actually. Oh, do it. Pull it up. Pull it up. Make sure that you screenshot that, though, so that we can send it to our video editor. Type up the questions. um, It's about uh, potty training, and it says uh, clicker training session, and what, I think this is going to be a better part two question, because there's a little more going on here. Okay, well, we'll get to that one in part two, so spoiler alert, this is a good question for our last question of this part one. Got it. From Victoria Kennedy on Instagram, Mm -hmm. do you train other dogs or just the ones that we breed? Well, funny that you mention that. Uh, We train all dogs. We do train all dogs. We do train a ton of dogs from our breeding program, which we absolutely love working with dogs from our program. Uh, It allows us to not only um, evaluate puppies from our breeding program that we are allowed and have the opportunity to train so that it allows us to say, hey, that was a really great cross. We should probably repeat that. Or, hey, that puppy, you know, the puppies from this litter weren't as natural water love dogs, you know, or, you know, they didn't back as naturally as I would have really liked to see out of this cross. Let's try something different, but it allows us to evaluate those breedings, but we do work with a lot of short hairs outside of our breeding program, as well as a lot of other breeds of dogs. So a pretty good mixture of things, bebop and in and out, but the fact that all of our videos and a majority of our content is created with short hairs, people go, Oh, they're short hair people, which I mean, in essence we are, but, um, you know, we do have the ability to work with other versatile breeds as well as other breeds that aren't pointing specific. So we've worked with English cockers, labs, like we're getting a new little lab puppy. So obviously Ooh. we'll be working with him and another whole, well, maybe not whole training series, but filling in some blanks and then doing some more advanced stuff with him when he's ready. But yes, we definitely train all breeds as well as, um, short hairs from outside of our program. And we do a lot of obedience training too, not just hunting dogs, um, which all of the hunting dogs that come in for training 
there's usually a focus on obedience as well because sure. 99.9999% of those dogs that come in for training are people's family pets and obedience is a huge important part of their lives um, to be able to settle down, behave in the house and be part of the family. So we put a lot of emphasis on that as well as any hunting training that yes, there's a natural ability aspect of it, but a lot of the other parts of it is obedience based as well. Yeah, I, I would say um, the biggest portion of the biggest portion of uh, the training all the way around, even you think about being in the field and everything else is is obedience based. Yeah, because you think about a retrieve. Well, they want to they need to want to go out and pick it up, but then they need to come back, which is the recall, which is obedience based. Well, and even just the fact that the dogs are, are bred and have natural ability, and a lot of that is exposure, that we kind of bring that natural ability out. Um, there's some fine-tuning that goes in that, but then the rest of it is obedience behaviors to, to kind of go hand-in-hand hand with the so natural ability that's already there. For yeah. sure. Through so. woe training and recall. and Without the obedience, the, the natural ability didn't do you all that good. So... Those were some great questions for this part one. Absolutely fantastic questions. And we will take a short break and be back with you for part two, starting with Ethan's email question. Yeah, yeah. Or sometimes it does attract birds. Okay. Motion on the water. Okay. I'm not arguing with that. But you can also say that sometimes it can flare birds. Sure. All right. And welcome to part two of this week's Yawa. I'm Kat the dog trainer. I'm still the guy with the pink gun. In case you didn't know. And that would be because you don't subscribe and have notifications turned on. Or this is your first time to the channel and you just happen to click on the fact that we titled this with something that we're about to talk about. And you were interested to see what we were going to talk about. So now you know who we are and that you should subscribe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So in the last uh, episode, we talked about some really cool things. We got some really great questions and we're going to start this one off with one that I've gotten a ton lately. Now, and it was actually emailed in. So people also ask us all the time, how can I submit a question for your guys' Yawa? You can submit them when we post asking for questions. That's typically the best way to do it. It is the best way because it keeps it really organized all in one place so that when I go to look for questions, I can find them easily. But you can do it that way. You can send it in a message on Instagram or Facebook. You can comment on a video that we've already posted on YouTube. Those are definitely harder for me to filter through, though. Um, Send us an email or reply to the story post that I post as well. So lots of options, though. Yeah, lots of options. So this is uh, messages from Alex Williams, and it says here, I have a nine-week-old chocolate lab retriever puppy, and I had a few questions for you. One, she understands the basic cues of here. Oh, thank you so much, Alex. I appreciate the fact that you follow along with our content and understand that we utilize the term cue, not command. So uh, thank you for that. It says uh, she understands the basic cues here, sit, kennel, but only really does them in the middle of a clicker training session. If I say here any other time, I'm ignored 90% of the time. Do we need to just keep working on it or where are we at? So that was question number one. Now, the reason I really wanted to answer this question is because, I mean, literally probably five times today, I've already answered this question for people and it is... So it's a really common one. And you're not alone. You're not alone. Everybody is feeling the same thing of in the sessions, the dog's great. Out of the sessions, I have no focus or attention at all. Now, my go-to for that is, okay, then let's take and utilize the entire time period that you're going to be out and interacting with your dog as the training session. Don't have a short four-minute window. Let's incorporate that we do 20 reps in. Let's incorporate 20 reps over the course of four hours. So they're playing, they're interacting, they're doing their thing. You call them back for a basic cue that they already understand here. 
here and show them that they can get rewarded all day long, but you're going to do that with their meal. So they're going to eat approximately, give or take, based on age and meal and whatever else, two cups of dog food a day. You're going to divide that into two meals probably. Make sure you have it measured out so that you know, and then just give them small amounts of that throughout the entire day. And A, you're going to keep their focus more because they're going to be willing and ready to eat most of the time, as well as you're going to be able to show them, I can get rewarded anytime throughout the day, so I should be paying attention. And then you're going to really bring out that gambler in your individual dog and it says, ooh, maybe I should try this time. Ooh, maybe I should try this time. Yes, I won. No, I didn't. Maybe next time. And when you do that variable reinforcement and incorporate it throughout your day, you're going to see a drastically more consistent puppy. We call that generalizing the training a lot of times, and we've referred to that in other videos and other situations as well. So if you're unsure what that term means, it's not just during your meal and training session for 10 minutes that you're focused. In this one specific area of your house or yes. It's allowing us to generalize that, that you need to be listening, paying attention, because there's a chance that when I ask you to do something at another time, it's also important because there are food rewards also available at that time. Yep. Next question was, she got pretty good at letting me know when she needs to go potty in her crate at night, but we still have several accidents throughout the day in the house, and I'm worried she's developing a habit, which is also something we talk about all the time, anytime Anything a dog is doing, they're conditioning themselves to. So you need to recognize patterns in your training regimen or in the life of your dog and say, that's a pattern that doesn't look like it's something I want to continue to develop. How do we break that and start something new? So it says, I am uh, with her at this point in time, nearly 24 hours a day, but she sneaks them in when I turn my back for five minutes, Um, goes She goes outside often, but does not hesitate to go inside either. Any secrets that can really nail this down? Now, my response to him was, because I did respond to this one already, because it was a while ago that this came through, but (laughs) these were good questions. Okay, okay. Okay. So, uh, my response to this was, watch our video, a full day of potty training in the life of a puppy. And we actually utilize, is that Thunder? Yes. Mm -hmm. Thunder. On our newest puppies, this is a newer video, and it's it's actually 24 hours from waking up first thing in the morning, all of our daily routine, the puppy's daily routine, which incorporated training sessions, potty breaks, playtime, potty breaks, playtime, potty breaks, training sessions, potty breaks, potty breaks, potty, 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 potty. potty. If you can tell there's a theme, we do a lot of potty breaks to build on success. Um, yes. We even went out to dinner that night, so he had to spend some time in a crate while we were gone and then come back and have a potty break. So. All the things in his daily routine you get to see in a video, broken down, time-lapse, that sort of thing. So it's really helpful video, but continue. No, if you can't, um, if you're struggling a little bit with your young puppy and potty training and trying to find a routine that works for you, definitely take a look at that because people are wanting to know how much time can they spend in the crate, how much time should they be spending out playing, what should I be doing, and that shows what we did 100% that day with that puppy. So the other thing that I want to throw in to respond to this question is he mentioned he's got a nine week old puppy. The fact that a, his nine week old puppy is all res- already responding to hear, sit and kennel pretty consistently is very impressive. Awesome. Um, but also that he's still struggling with some potty training at nine weeks old isn't unexpected. Uh, puppies have really underdeveloped bladders. Most people get their puppies at around eight weeks old. So having point. your puppy for only a week and being able to accomplish all of those training goals as well as continuing to work on potty training um, is a realistic expectation. So don't think, oh, I've got my puppy for a week. Our potty training should be solid, should be golden. We should never have any more accidents in the house because that is say, not normal. Um, so what would Thunder be now? 16, 15, 15 weeks. Coming up on 16 weeks. So 15 weeks old. Okay, I guess he's 15 weeks old. He will be 16 weeks old. So I guess he's coming up on that at the end of the week. You're right. Between 15 and 16 weeks old, folks. <laughs> um, what Between three and four months old, that was the generalization that I wanted to make, is between about three and four months old is when we've been able to be a lot more lenient with his time of unsupervisedness. He gets to come in. 
He gets to play in a slightly less supervised, constant in and out and in and out and We're in and out regimen. We're not really setting timers for him anymore. It's just, oh, it's probably about time that we try a potty break because he's gained that bladder control. But it's taken close to... About a month, month and a half. Yeah, a month and a half for that consistency with that schedule of going out and his bladder developing to get to the point where we're pretty much accident-free unless we do something completely stupid, let him tank on water, and then ignore him in the house. But And you start to recognize individual patterns that he is displaying or he will let us know. When he starts to go back to, like we usually go out a specific door, which is what we always recommend that you do is try and keep things consistent that way. He starts headed that direction. Well, the only time he starts heading that direction is when he needs to go to the bathroom. So he also starts to act a little antsier where, you know, he might be laying down, chewing on a dog bone or something. And then he's getting up and then he goes, oh, I'll go lay down for a second. But he's hopping up and going back and forth quite a bit. And you're like, eh, you're, you know, doing the potty dance. Yep. So keep in mind your puppy's bladder is going to develop over time. Um, And it does sound like your puppy's really intelligent too, that you started that clicker training and worked on a lot of behaviors. You can always clicker train or bell train your puppy to tell you when they need to go outside. So that's also an option that you can try. That's something that we typically don't have to um, result. What's the word? Resort to. Uh, we usually are Good word. able to evaluate their behavior, like that antsy behavior, the potty dance behavior, um, headed to the door behavior, and that allows us to know, oh, yep, it's time for a break, not, oh, you go and ring a bell. Um, but I know a lot of people that have a lot of success with their puppies ringing a bell to tell them they need to go out. So a great question, one that I thought we definitely needed to get to, and we didn't have time last week, and that's when it kind of came in for so. The next thing I want to mention to you guys is if you have made it this far in the video, we appreciate you watching and we appreciate everybody that watches. And of the last month, it looks like 70% of the people that watched our videos did not subscribe. So if you are part of that 70%, hit that subscribe button now. What's our next question? Next question is from Instagram. From JH98. And the and the UK is kicking Canada's butt right now. So Canada, we appreciate you guys. You're connected to us. Uh, we appreciate the UK too. But a little friendly competition in here. There's a lot of, there's a lot of. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. It's a tight race there. Italy coming in in fourth. Come on, Italy. <laughs> but to get back to the question that I was about to ask. <laughs> Would you be able to apply your training tips to a three and a half year old adoptive GSP? So this is a great question. And you can't teach old dogs new tricks. Yes. Yes, you can. Uh, our mantra is, yes, you can always teach an old dog new tricks, though it usually takes a little bit longer than when you start with a blank slate with a brand new puppy because, you know, they've had three and a half years to get in their groove just takes longer to condition those habits. Yeah. Yeah, So what they've been doing, but you definitely can apply the same training tips through clicker training, basic obedience. Um, those three and a half year old dogs typically have a lot more mental maturity and are ready for more training at that point. Um, so you could fly through those puppy training basics videos if you're following along and just applying those same things to an older dog is definitely something. And this is the thing that gets brought up a ton that we try and stress, but it's still hard for people to wrap their brains around um, this idea, basically. And the idea is that the the age of your dog doesn't necessarily matter as much as are they understanding and do they have an understanding of step one before you move to step two? That's it. So you can start at step one, the first video in our training series with your dog at three and a half years old and go okay, we've taught them, we've charged the clicker. Then we've worked through these obedience things. Yep, they're good, good, good. Now we start to incorporate all of them into a single session. Yep, they're good with that. So then you just move down the line of videos. Same thing with that eight-week-old puppy or 12 weeks old or whenever you are finding our channel and finding our videos, doesn't matter if your dog is eight weeks or three and a half years old or whatever. You start at video one, Teach your dog that, and then when they have an understanding and you feel like, yeah, they're doing really good with this, move to the next one and continue down that path. People want to have a specific, what do I need to be doing between this age and this age? And there's such a huge variance in personalities of individual dogs that it's very hard to actually write 
something out and put it on paper and it really messes with both cat and my brains to go, okay, so a four month old puppy needs to be doing because it's not the case. And it's not the case for every different every dog, dog every as breed. well as every situation and every breed, as well as, you know, some people don't find our channel or find our videos until their puppy's four months old, six months old. And they feel like old. they missed out. And they're like, oh, well now my puppy's behind. We no. can't ever catch up or where do I start? Well, you start at the beginning. Just like if you had an eight week old puppy, you start, start at step one, you move to step two when they're ready. It's the exact same thing that we do when your dog comes in for training. Those of you that um, have sent your dogs or are interested in sending your dogs to us for training, we start at square zero as if your dog knows nothing. We take as much information as we can so that we have an understanding of what what you feel like your dog is good at and what they are struggling with and what direction you want to go. But then we start them at the beginning and we say, okay, we're going to teach you this and this and this. And dogs that truly have a good understanding, I mean, they go down the list in a single day and you go, okay, well you are good at this and this and this and this and this, but we don't want to make, we don't want to have a hole in that program. So we don't make assumptions, even though, you know, clients might tell us, oh yeah, my dog is already had a gunfire introduction. We're good to go. Well, I'm not just going to go start planting birds and blasting away over your dog. I need to see it with my own eyes first, evaluate it myself. And so we start before bird and gun introduction. Because everybody knows what assuming does. Yep. Yep. I do. I'll put the equation down here. (laughs) So I thought this was a really good question um, coming up from Brenton Ward on Facebook. What's the best way to encourage a more aggressive water entry? Max is a one-year-old GSP. He loves to swim, but always takes it easy going in. So I first want to mention that an aggressive water entry, though it looks awesome, they're like launching and splashing and it looks so powerful and well, you amazing. Think about all the, it does. And you think about all the advertising and the photos and the videos and the, oh, it looks cool. It looks cool. Yeah. However, I want to caution you and put into perspective that a dog that still loves the water, but enters smoothly and stealthily and... um I guess quietly we had that was like a dang sage otter. Yeah. She never jumped and she would just walk. She didn't even make a ripple. It was just like, and then she was swimming and she just, yes. And so (laughs) the water entry, though it looks cool, it's not always really that beneficial or safe. Um, even because there's lots of dogs that get stabbed, stabbed, impaled because you go to go, to a new hunting location and you may not know that new property or where you're hunting and know what's under the surface of the water. If there's sharp sticks or a broken off fence pole or anything, any number of things that could really hurt your dog, um, or heaven forbid, kill your dog by having them impaled when they make one of those really powerful water entries. The other thing is that's a pretty noisy and splashy way to enter the water. Um, so if you've got other birds coming in and they see this ruckus happening at the water, that might flare birds, you know? So having a dog that makes a stealthy water entry. Or sometimes it does attract birds. Okay. Motion on the water. Okay. I'm not arguing with that. But you can also say that sometimes it can flare birds. Sure. But also a dog that enters without dunking their head under the water, making this big splash, they can also keep their eye on the mark. And not miss it and lose it when they're making that water entry. So let's be honest here. That big water entry, all it is is style points. And style points don't fetch you more birds. Correct. And can even potentially be dangerous. Now, some dogs may um, get more aggressive water entries as they go on. But typically, it's just a breeding and personality and temperament type of behavior than anything else. Not something so much that can be taught. So, um, but it was a really good question and I definitely wanted to touch on that. Do we have time for one more quick question? Yep. Okay, one more quick question from Bill Knapp on- It better be a quick one. It is on Facebook. Best way to stop creeping on point. Okay, so this is a not a quick one, but we will answer it in its entirety. Um, the, the, so the short story is woe training, uh, Bill, woe training is going to be the key to that. And if your dog truly and fully understands woe, they're going to stand there when you woe them. And you can reinforce it yep. through collar conditioning to woe. Now, 
the the long story of that, which it's not too not terribly long, but the creeping, we have to be um, evaluating because I know that you're a wild bird hunter, um, but birds move and having uh, the intelligence of the dog to be able to understand when those birds have moved and creep with that, if you will, um, to stay with the birds is, is an important part of being a good hunting dog. So an intelligent bird finder. When I am hunting wild birds, I do very little woeing and handling unless they really are at a point where they're outside of a comfortable zone for me and lock up on point. Then I'm like, hey, whoa, stand there until I can catch up and then we'll go together. So in case that bird does end up busting wild, um, I still have the potential to get a shot off. Um, because you, know, you get get an opportunity to get closer to the dog. Yes. Now, if the dog is close to me and they start moving in and, you know, are intelligently moving with that bird, that's a good thing. It's a good thing for them to know. Now, the last part of that would be if you are actively watching your dog creep in to the point of, like, if you're pushing at a pen, birds out. Yeah, pushing birds, wild birds out or, um, you're at a preserve or something to that effect and they point with their nose basically on the dumb bird, you go, okay, these are all naughty habits and they're not conducive to finding and, and harvesting more birds. So all of those things considered, woe training is the answer and then being able to understand your dog. And read and, the situation. And read the situation. Yep. So really good question. It wasn't that long. No, no, no. You were right. See? See? Yeah. Did you all hear that? You just said I was right. You said that all the time. I know, but I need to document it. <laughs> well, so that on, I can like... It's on the YouTube forever. Yeah, so that I can pull up that video clip anytime we're having an argument. Just repeat it. You were right. You were right. Yeah. It's her new, re- new ringtone, ring right? <laughs> Maybe. Right. I'll see you if I can right. get that made into a, a ringtone. Just for when you call, though. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. All right, guys. That's all we got for part two this week. I appreciate everybody for watching, and we will see you shortly after a quick... Message from our sponsors. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the third and final part of this week's Yawa. Bum, bum, if this is your first time to the channel, thanks for checking us out. Thanks for watching. And hit the subscribe button. It's over here. That way you don't miss any of our other great videos that we have. Um, we have a ton of videos, actually. So And we I, answered an insane number of really good questions this week already. Watch part one and two, then come back and jump in here. Yeah, so... But check out some of our other videos. Even if you don't want to just watch Yawa videos, we've got training videos, we've got hunting videos, we've got hunting dog health videos. And yeah. I'm learning how to shoot a shotgun, so that's exciting. <laughs> we got all the videos. So without further ado, I want to get into answering a really good question that I'm actually combining with another really good question because um, it is something that we've actually been talking about a lot recently because guess what? It's coming up, hunting season. We call this a Kit Kat mashup. Yeah. So first question yeah. <laughs> from LaCroix75. What's one favorite place or hunting trip you've done and one you're looking forward to? Mm. Then the other one that I want to mash up with this is from Hound Horde. I like it. On mm. Instagram. When do you Guessing want? you have a few dogs, one or two, or a horde. Uh, when do you want to start taking Aiden on hunting trips? Well, that is an awesome. See, combination that's why of I hunt. had to mash this, them up. It's a, it's a it's a great mashup. So, first of all, I can talk about. Um, first, we'll talk about our favorite places that we've gone hunting mm-hmm. in the past. Go for yep. it. So, for me, a very fun, cherished hunt that I've been on, go on, uh, pretty consistently like to go on, want to go on again, is a late season South Dakota hunt. I enjoy doing that. I enjoy the hunting. I enjoy the people that to come with us. I enjoy just that. I, I'm a big fan of South Dakota. I love the country. love being up there. And it's fun to get to go share that with friends. Because I do a lot of guiding, but that's 
But that's you know, not hunting. That's, that's not hunting. I'm running dogs and everything else. And when I'm out there getting to go hunting and everything else, it's a, it's a lot of fun. So I definitely like also like our late season South Dakota hunts. Um, I grew up in North Dakota though. So pheasant hunting was something that I got to do quite frequently with my family. Um, not with dogs necessarily because we didn't have hunting dogs growing up. Um, but I do like getting to go to South Dakota, getting to watch the dogs work, um, hang out with some friends and do some hunting, but I'm also a wimp and it gets pretty dang cold in South Dakota late season. And like last year, one of the late season hunts we went on, like the snow had that really thick crust that you thought like for half a second you could walk on top of. And then you would go chunk I'm all the way down right to your now. crotch and then you'd be stuck and then you were exhausted and then you were sweating and then you'd stop sweating and you'd be cold. Yeah. And in that specific situation, it was horrible. Okay. And no, it was bad, bad. I was, ugh, I almost died, I think. <laughs> Twice. I fell in a pond up to my chest through the ice and almost froze because then I had to walk all the way back to the truck with water soaked through. Well, it was, we drove up to this spot and, you know, I'm looking at my, yeah, it looks good. I get them dropped off. I'm like, you guys just have to walk in this like 20, 30 yards, maybe 50 yards at the most so that you're kind of walking up as we get the blocker set in place on the other end. And they walk in. I'm like, what are they doing? They're nowhere near They're getting there. And get there. And like, that snow is so bad. I'm like, the snow over here was bad. What are you guys talking about? And then we ended up pushing back to where I had to walk through what they were going through. And I was like, oh my God, I think I'm going to die. Because every time you do, you can't, it was like right up to your waist. Every clunk, clunk, just trudging through waist deep snow yeah. was not easy. Let me tell you. So though I like South Dakota late season hunting, Not every situation is ideal. And I actually got to go on my first real like Canada goose hunt last year in Nebraska and Wyoming. We kind of hopscotched back and forth across the border there. Yep. It was guided. So also that was really nice. By the fox. Yeah. He, they ended up having all the decoys set out. We had pit blinds and A-frame blinds. And so it was warm. Not going to complain about that. Um, And the hunting was really good. So we were done by before noon every day. So we got to go eat lunch and then hang out. So, uh, it was a lot of fun and I'd never really had the opportunity to do goose hunt like that. I got to watch my boy Nix do some pretty awesome, um, retrieves on some giant Canada geese. Yeah, it was cool. And it was really fun and something I hadn't really gotten a chance to experience before. And I definitely have that actually on the docket. We're going again this year because it was so much fun. And we got to go with some friends, which was also really fun. Um, So we definitely want to do that again. But now getting into the mashup and the hunt that we're really looking forward to and super excited about. Say it. Montana. We're going to Montana. We've been talking you, about this in a couple other Yawa videos. Yeah, if you follow along with some of our other videos, you get to see the trip that I took. Was it just last year? Yes, yes, yeah, it was. So went last year, it was the first time that I had killed a sharp tail, and first time I'd ever been to Montana as well. It's very pretty country. It was, um, you know, a big change from what we're used to, and it was fun. Dogs enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, and it's something to be able to get out and do earlier in the year. And the weather was great, and Kat was really upset. I didn't, get to, didn't get to go. And then I got to watch the highlight video reel. Put that bumper here because it was really awesome. Um, and I was like, I'm doing that. So we're going on that hunt again, and we're planning on going on that the end of September. Hopefully, fingers crossed, all the things. Yep. Um, but I think we've been talking a lot about taking Aiden with us. And by, and by we've been talking a lot about taking Aiden with us, I said, I want to bring Aiden on this hunt because we're going to be gone for X amount of time. And, you know, and don't want to be back without from him. That, don't want to be without him. And then coming back from that, I pretty much have to leave and go straight up to South Dakota. Not very long after. Which you'll so. be gone for another three plus weeks. So. So I want to be able to incorporate him in this. And Kat looked at me and she goes, fine then we're not going. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, you're not going to be able to pack him up and down those hills and whatever else. And I'm not going to be able to pack him up and down those hills. So I said, yes, I will watch me. And so we're going to take Aiden with us. He loves wearing his headphones. He loves being part of it. He loves the his dogs. Earmuffs, his headphones. ear muffs. Ear protection. Ear muffs. Yep. He's got head, head gear. Um, so he'll be able to do that. Loves the dogs. Love being outside. 
he is just a very busy, busy child. So he will have to be strapped on somebody's back. Oh yeah. For when we're hunting and I can, he'll be strapped up and, and be there with us to, to do the things. And then we'll get to, he'll get to experience that at a very early age in his life. And our goal is to be able to vlog the trip. Um, in multiple parts, probably, as well as incorporate specific things that we learn along the way about when and how and what Where to do and- with uh, bringing a toddler hunting. Because he won't you. even be quite two yet. He turns two the end-ish of November. So he will be, you know, not quite two when we're trekking all the way to Montana. Because it's about a, what, 16, 18-hour drive? South- Side-ish. Um, I, I think it was about 15, 16 hours to where we ended up. So. Which was more like south drive. central-ish part of the state. But he's always been a really good traveler. I mean, at two months old, we took his first big car ride all the way up to Minnesota for the Navda annual meeting. And he did great at two months old, did all that. We've kind of always been, he just goes with for most of these things that we go on yeah. because he's a part of the family and he's part of our life and we want to instill in him the love of the sport and the hunting and the dogs that we have. And what better way than to incorporate him into that? So we're going to do our best to show you guys what that looks like firsthand. And uh, it should be an adventure. It should be. And you'll get to see all of it since we're going to vlog it because we don't have a private life apparently ever. (laughs) It'll be fun. Well, uh, yeah. Okay, moving on to the next question, <laughs> since this is getting us tension. Uh, I can feel it. Can you feel the tension here? I can feel the tension here. <laughs> this is a good question. Moving on from Sarah Gaventer Caber. Sorry if I mispronounced that on Facebook. I'm sure you did. Actually, I pronounced someone's name right in one of the Yawas on the first try, and they actually commented on it on a YouTube video, I think. Like, good job. You got my name right on the first try. I was like, see? What's that question? Is picking up a puppy from a breeder younger than eight weeks old really a problem? For a variety of reasons, I will be picking up my puppy at six weeks and five days. What are some things I can do to help the transition home this young so Leave it at I, the breeder for two more weeks or three no. or five. That's a joke. So I wanted to hit on this question because we have gotten this specific question a, a ton. Yeah. Um, not specifically always uh, what's the best age to get my puppy or it's more, I got my puppy at six weeks old. My breeder wants me to pick up my puppy at six weeks old, blah, blah, blah. And now I'm struggling with this or this is what's going on or what should I expect? And because we've been getting that question so often, we decided we needed to do a video on that. And it actually just came out um, today, today, which, well, today, but then this video, the Yawa video won't come out for a couple days because of editing. Um, But it's out. out. Watch the video. Here's the bumper thing for it. Based on timing, you just go back a couple videos in the queue and you'll find her. Yes. But um, there definitely are reasons that we recommend puppies staying with their litter mates um, and continuing to socialize and be developed by the breeder, especially if the breeder's doing all the things right to develop that puppy through eight weeks old, um, as well as a lot of states. I think 26 is what we figured have state laws and requirements of how young a puppy can leave its litter mates, which is most of the time, eight weeks. I think there were only two of those states that said seven, two, I think that says seven weeks. I don't know. We, we have the actual data in that video. Um, but there's so much that goes into developing and raising a litter of puppies, especially in those last two weeks when their personalities and temperaments are really developing, um, that if you get a puppy Six early, weeks is when we really start to begin evaluating personality. Yes. So, And we do a lot with them starting at six weeks. Not only are they getting their next round of vaccinations and worming, we start crate training. We, you know, mama is pretty much weaned from them. So they're transitioning to learning how to eat all of their meals in crunchy form, but they still have their pack and their litter mate to help help them want to eat and feel confident and finish their meals. Um, that pup, pup, 
the puppy potty habits are also developing, you know, continuing that potty training through crate training. So there's so much that happens as well as we do a lot with socialization with walks through grass, water introductions, bird introductions, things like that with all of these puppies. But that doesn't happen until they're closer to almost seven weeks old um, or even a little over that. So getting a puppy earlier than that means that those things haven't happened and you're going to have your hands full with continuing their proper development and socialization that should truly really be done with their litter mates and still at the breeders, in our opinion. This Hashtag is the truth. this is cat's unpopular opinion. I feel like breeders that send puppies home brutally at six honest. weeks old. Brutally honest comment. Yeah, this is gonna be brutal. Um, I feel that breeders that send puppies home at six weeks old are lazy. They Ooh. are I'm saying it. They are only doing lazy it and unethical. Because there's a lot that goes into developing those puppies. Watch our puppy development series with Muddy's litter, with Breezy's litter. Um, you know, we had a litter of 10 puppies. It's a lot of work. And breeders that don't want to put in the work and just want to get those puppies out of there, collect a paycheck, that's because they don't have the time, the resources, or maybe even the know-how to continue developing and raising those puppies. That was mean. I'm sorry. I'm not usually like that, but I had to do it. Because I feel passionate about it. Words need to be said sometimes. Hopefully this was one of them. (laughs) Either that or I'm going to get a whole bunch of thumbs down on this video. But, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Honesty is the best policy. What do we got next? This one. This one right here from Bella Matro on Instagram. Our seven-month-old male GSP will growl and bark deeply at most all people that walk by. He's been around a lot of people and other dogs in his seven months, but still is extremely skeptical of others. He's never been aggressive ever. He's very gentle and goofy. How do we teach him to not growl and bark at people like he does? Thank you. Seven months old? Yes. Mm. So um, this is typically one of those questions that I have questions back for people because I need a little more information typically to be able to give the best feedback and advice. Um, Let's start with, and this is something I have to say to a ton of people because there have been a lot of questions that come out, first of all, that people say, my dog is being aggressive. And that's even as early as maybe 9, 10, 10, 9, 10, 11, 12 weeks range. You know, that eight to that two months to three months range. People are saying my puppy is aggressive. And a lot of times that's play. Typically by the time you're seven, eight months old, whatever, you're you're seeing some of these things. It's no longer play. Um, depending. And don't say that it's aggressive. On. He doesn't, it doesn't sound like with the information we've been giving, it ever escalates b- beyond being vocal and growling and barking. And I feel like with the information given, like I said, this is typically where we say, hey, we need more information and a great way to have a conversation about what's actually going on where even, you can give us- more than more information. We need, to, we need to be able to see what's going on. Yeah, and this is where we can start that and say, okay, I need this information. Then you give me more. And then I say, I need to see a video of this. And that's where our online dog training community on Patreon really can be beneficial for people that are having questions that aren't getting answered because obviously we can't get through a hundred questions in our weekly Yawas. You know, we try and get through as many as we can. How many we got this week? It was about that. Yeah. Between all of the platforms. But I do sit down for a couple hours in the morning and answer everybody's questions and have plenty of time set aside for that. You know, that's my four o'clock coffee and answer y'all's questions game. Yes. So if you need more help or you have questions that aren't getting answered or we need to see a video of what's going on, that's a really great way to um, contact us and get feedback from us. But it doesn't sound like with what you're saying that he's being aggressive and it hasn't escalated to that point, but it can. But low growling and barking at everybody. Sounds like he needs his focus redirected during those situations. We had a dog out at the one of the training seminars. Yes. He was unsure of some of the other trainers that were watching the sessions and was kind of looking at him and, and giving him like the side eye, not sure. And instead of, allowing that to continue and conditioning him that 
it's okay to do that or petting him and saying, it's okay, buddy, you know, don't worry about them. It's okay. That's just reinforcement based training where you're saying what you're doing, growling, barking, vocalizing is okay. And it would be better to redirect. So if he's on leash, give him a little tug on the leash, ask him to do something that he knows how to do, sit, heal, lay down, whatever it might be that he has to think about. So what you just glazed over, like it was a common knowledge thing was, is something that is huge for people to hear and understand. Um, What? The reinforcement aspect of stuff, because this is the number one thing that we see. Sorry. No, 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 no. We it's, talk about it so much in all of our videos. I know, that that's it what I'm saying. You just glazed over like it. it should be the number knowledge. one thing that we hear from people when they have a situation that they're not okay with themselves and they're trying to help their dog through it is my dog is growling. My dog is resource guarding, resource guarding. That would be like, um, protecting their food, which usually involves some form of growling as well. But, or my dog is barking or my dog is trembling and seems scared or my dog is doing any of these things, right? Um, then we tell them, you know, we try and comfort them with that. Well, it's okay. Exactly what Kat was saying. It's okay. It's okay. Well, you have to think about how close that is to a reaction that you have or an interaction that you have with your dog when they're doing good things. You're praising them. You're praising them. Good dog. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. Good dog. These are all really nice ways to talk to the puppy and say that what you're doing right now is what I want you to do more often. That's reinforcement-based training. Um, It strengthens behaviors. It's positive reinforcement-based training. Um, But reinforcement-based training in general strengthens behaviors, exactly how Kat said. So this is the, the number one problem with anything that is not necessarily right behaviorally wise that people do and they do it for a long time mistakenly but they do it for a long time before they recognize or explain to that it's probably not a great idea and in this specific situation I don't know what's going on we need more information but the number one thing that we see people do is reinforce their dogs by saying oh it's okay you know it's okay and pet them and say it's, it's okay. You don't have to be scared of me or you don't have to be scared of that or you don't have to be um, angry or aggressive or grumpy toward any of these things. These are all good. So that, you glazed over, if you are doing that with your dog and you're having some form of aggressive issue or apprehension issue or stress issue, you need to stop that and reach out to us or somebody else. But we've got a pretty good understanding of a lot of those things and, and we can help you. Yes. So once you stop doing any reinforcement-based training. How do we fix it? Then redirecting their focus to something else. Redirecting focus. They already know. So instead of letting them growl or bark at what they're unsure of, redirect them. If they're on lead, ask them to heal. Hey, hey, hey. Come over here. Do something else. Think about something else, which dogs have dog brains. They can typically only, you know, think about one thing at a time, which is why everyone thinks it's hilarious when they're like, do-do-do-do, dog, squirrel. Because dogs can only focus at one thing at a time. So if they're thinking about healing or they're thinking about sitting or they're thinking about something else that they know how to do, they're not able to think about the fact that, oh, I don't really know what those people over there are doing or those dogs are doing. I should maybe bark or growl at them. Um, And it allows them to think about something else. And another thing that we really like to do with dogs that have some apprehension maybe of coming into the kennel and settling into, you know, the training here is treadmill time. Ignore them. Oh, so like when clients come in to drop off their dogs and their dogs are a little unsure of being here, yeah, 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 we yeah. usually just say, let's just let them sniff around, ignore them, um, let them go outside and go to the bathroom while we go over your training goals and things like that. Yeah. But yeah, then yeah. once, you know, their owners have left and we're trying to get them to settle into kennel life and training sessions and things like that, we'll work on treadmill time so yep. that they can, again, Focus on the fact that they need to learn how to run on this treadmill or walk on the treadmill. Typically, we walk before we run, and we usually don't ever run the dogs on the treadmill because um, too fast, it can be dangerous and out of control. But they learn to walk on a treadmill. They have to think about it. They have to maintain a speed. They have to maintain a pace. Um, they have to focus so that they don't you know, walk off the edge of the treadmill, things like that. And again, 
thinking about something like that, they can't think about the fact that, oh, I'm a little overwhelmed being here. I've never been around other dogs. I've, you know, never been in a kennel run before. I've never been crated before. You know, you would be surprised how many dogs that come in for training have never been crated, which we talk about crate training all the time as being really important. Absolutely. Um, So treadmills also build a lot of mental stability and, you know, every time we're stressing our dogs slightly, they're growing from that small amounts of stress. That's how we get stronger with our muscles. You know, we lift weights and we get stronger because we stressed our muscles. Well, the same with the dogs. We're stressing. Stress is a requirement of growth. Yeah. So we stress them a little bit by making them have to think or learn something new that they've never done before. And they're going to grow and become stronger and better and more well-rounded dogs because of that. Now, if you stress too much, that muscle breaks or that dog in the situation could break. And uh, muscle recovery, you know, a torn muscle takes a long time to fix. So it's important to balance that. But read the dogs, read the situation, which is what we're very good at. And at the same time, if you don't stress the muscles enough, you have what happens to our elder generation and those muscles atrophy, atrophy. and you get weaker and. Um, it's, it's all part of a, it's all part of a balance act that you have to have enough stressors for growth without uh, too much to break. Yes. So those were really, really good questions. I know I got really passionate about a couple of them because they are things that really bother me. So I had to, you know, jump in there with that. Thanks guys for watching. If we didn't get to your question this week, we're sorry, but we definitely want you to reach out to us. Um, we're happy to answer those in our ready and willing to help. I don't have anything else to say. (laughs) You like took a breath like you were going to say more. And I'm the guy with the pink gun. And I'm Kat the dog trainer. And we will see you guys next week. Thanks for watching. That was good. That was real good. Really good outro there, babe. (laughs)